0: A real bodice ripper contains explicit... Salacious. Delicious. Not safe for work content. Isn't that great? But no, seriously, listener discretion is advised. A real bodice ripper. 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 We're here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, we are. Here we are. We're going to talk about Rebecca. Rebecca. It has been a hot moment. Since we were here last, and so much is happening. (laughs) So much has happened. In fact, we have a very special episode for you today because so much has happened. That's how life is things happen in it, and then you have to deal with it. Yes. So, welcome to our podcast. This is A A Real Real Bodice Ripper, a podcast that explores the delicious, guilty, and sometimes problematic pleasure that is found in romance novels. I'm Rachel. And I'm Jessie. And sometimes we're going to explore movies, like today. <laughs> <laughs> and this is kind of a mix. Um, so I have read the book Rebecca, and Jesse has watched the nineteen forty mm-hmm. film With of Florence Rebecca, Olivier and John directed Fontaine. by Alfred Hitchcock. Like it's fantastic. It's a powerhouse of a movie. It looks like, and I'm going to have to watch it after this. And Netflix is shortly going to be releasing a brand new interpretation of this at the end of the month, which is kind of exciting. We didn't I know. know that until we were well into... Trying to look into, th- this has been on a, the docket for weeks. Well, listen, we can't help it that we're incredibly relevant. We're so <laughs> relevant all the time. And we're so busy because we just are people about town. Uh, yeah. I mean, no, I, I I became licensed. I had to study for a huge exam Yay! in my career. Yay! I so know. exciting. And so. then I was taking uh, intensives on becoming a yoga teacher. So, you know, it's been some full days. <laughs> And I can't believe we made this happen. I'm very, I'm very proud of us. I'm proud of us. I, I was able to fit reading into mine, but I feel like with the test you had ahead of you, oh doing God. reading and all of that was a little bit much. <laughs> it was insane. I am so relieved that it's over. I'm so thankful uh, for my team of supports, and I was so thankful for our creativity, creativity in deciding. You know what? Why don't we do like a movie book kind of comparative fun time? Yeah. And it, it, the, the movie's amazing. It's Hitchcock's only, I think, best picture award. Whoa. I didn't yeah. realize that. Yeah. I mean, he got a lot of he got a lot of praise for this with with good reason. Um, I mean, besides the powerhouse cast, which does a really great job. We'll we'll talk about that more, but I'm I'm excited to talk about Rebecca and get back into just living a life. Yes. Having a life is good because it's just in time for spooky season. Spooky. 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 With a spooky, scary skeleton. (laughs) I'm annoying. Sorry. (laughs) No, I love that song, and it makes me really happy. It's why I'm going to make everyone dance to it in Zumba. (laughs) This jingle is one of my favorite songs. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, yeah, so because it is spooky season, Um, As we were planning everything out, we were kind of thinking about how we wanted to bring in some more classic literature that at the point when it came out, it really wasn't considered like bodice ripping romance or anything like that romance as we know it nowadays, didn't really come about as its specific genre until like the 1970s or something like that. Mm -hmm. But you definitely, there's a history of romantic books. And this is one that was actually a gothic romance, Mm. like a classic gothic romance. So we said, how about we start out spooky season with a gothic romance? There's definitely a lot of spooky elements in this book. There's some dark kind of just very emotional pieces that happen in this book. Yeah, and it definitely, I guess from what I heard of it, Previously, I thought it was going to be more ghost story and it really ended up being a psychological thriller, which is still just brilliantly fun. It is. Yeah. And I mean, I should say... There were some spooky elements in this movie. Oh. I speak for the movie. <laughs> and I speak for the book. Oh my God. <laughs> Together, we are a complete experience. Exactly. <laughs> so um, how do we want to start? Should we start off with uh, just giving a description of the yeah, book? Yeah. Tell me about it. Right. Um, I don't have a description of the movie, but we're just going to use the book description. Yeah, and the movie is, like, mostly the same, at least in kind of, like, they, outline <laughs> and yes. idea. It has some little points that vary. Oh, there's some specific plot... Elements. Elements they changed, but that has a lot to do with, like, Hollywood in the 1940s. But um, yeah, it, they, they really, Hitchcock and the producer Selznick really tried to keep it as close to the, as, to the book as possible. So um, this is the book description for Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier. Yes. So, last night, I dreamt I went to Mandalay again. Famous, famous line. <sighs> it's the first line of the book and makes you tingle. I, yeah, I know. And now I'm like, <laughs> that's a terrible <laughs> dreams nightmare. Um, <laughs> so the second Miss Maxim de Winter remembered the chilling events that led her down the turning drive past the beaches, white and naked, to the isolated gray stone manse on the Wincep Cornish coast. With a husband she barely knew, the young bride arrived at this immense estate only to be inexorably... Inexer- How do you pronounce that word? I'm inexorably... Sorry. <laughs> inexorably drawn into the life of the first Mr. Winter, the beautiful Rebecca, dead but never forgotten. Her suite of rooms never touched, her clothes ready to be worn, her servant, the sinister Miss Danvers, still loyal. And as an eerie pres- presentiment presentiment, wow, I, I, I don't even m- know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> I am educated, but I don't know that word. Again, uh, I guess it's an eerie presentiment of mm. evil tightened around her heart. The second Miss <gasps> De Winter began her search for the real fate of Rebecca and for the secrets of Mandalay. Ooh, yes, amazing. And a little bit about the author, Daphne du Maurier. We're kind of saying it very French. I don't know if that's exactly how it's pronounced, but we're going. Don't we're cancel going with us. us. Don't cancel us, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, but first and foremost, she was an excellent storyteller. But she was also, she came of a dynasty of creatives. She, had, she was a granddaughter, a daughter, a sister, a military wife. And she came from a family of artists, writers, and actors A renaissance family. A very renaissance family that was really well off. So they weren't starving artists. These were rich artists. So It really helps. It it totally helps. She grew up well taken care of. Um, She's often thought of as reclusive. She was very solitary, comfortable with her own company and the make-believe world that she lived in and which enabled her to bring us her wonderful novels and short stories. And I see a lot of the narrator in that like she was someone in the book that was always going off on imaginary things in her mind she's she would spend pages being like this is what's going to happen and then it would come and it wouldn't happen that way because she was naive (laughs) oh in Rebecca in Rebecca yes so you're saying she's a Mary Sue Rebecca or not the second Mr. Winters is a Mary Sue which is like a term for when like the author basically just like Writes herself. Writes herself. Yes. Oh, interesting. Um, but then at the same time, she was also, um, in the role that she was in her life, she was also having to be the hostess of a great manor house. So I think there was a little bit of both characters to her, but I do feel like she more identified with the unnamed narrator. Um, but as I said, she had a privileged upbringing. She married a military man. They had children and lived at Menabilly a manor house where she wrote many of her books in a magical writing hut on the grounds with a view over the ocean. Hmm, sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it sounds a little familiar. Like Manderlet. Um And she was the breadwinner in the family. Even though she was married to a military man, it was her writing that really supported the family, which I think is kind of awesome for That's a woman amazing. in the 40s. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yes, well done, Way Daphne. Thank you, Daphne. And for a long time, she was described as a romantic novelist, but this is a bit misleading because what she often wrote were dark, gothic, edgy novels and short stories with unexpected twists and suspenseful endings. So there's a lot of people that are huge Daphne du Maurier fans who are just looked down on it being considered part of the romance genre. Oh. They're like, you got it all wrong. Like, we don't go there. This is fiction. She's so much fiction. better. This is like different. This is totally a whole thing. different. I see. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, okay. She died in 1989, and today she has a large and varied following. She's read and studied by students at school and university, but also by men and women of all ages who just enjoy the pleasure of reading her works, like us. That's great. And you can learn more about her online at uh, www.dumarier.org. I also read online in 1994 through, they found some like documents or something that confirmed that she was a bisexual woman. Yes. They don't talk about that on dumario.org, but I totally believe it. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to email the webmaster. (laughs) Excuse me. You missed this important detail. Uh, representation here, especially when we start to get into the story of this book, which I have some theories about, which are not like my own at all. They're not. They were kind of like they're a large. They definitely came out (laughs) (laughs) in the movie in a big way. (laughs) Yes, for sure, for sure. So we have our ratings. That's right. Let's rate this experience. This experience. There's a few of them. They're all out of five. One being low, five being high. Right. And so remember, my ratings will be for the 1940 uh, Rebecca film directed by Alfred Hitchcock, and yours is the book, the 1938 book by Daphne Du Maurier. Yes. So first of all is our spice rating. Tell me how spicy was this book? This book I gave a whopping 0. 0.5. Oh my god, it's barely microwaved. I <laughs> I didn't find it spicy at all because I didn't even sense a decent like tension or connection between the narrator and Maximilian, her husband. Like to me It could have been the relationship of a father and a child, Mm. a man and his dog. They actually, like, refer to it multiple times where she's like, I feel like Jasper the dog. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah. And so I just, I didn't, it didn't feel like a romantic connection between them at all to me throughout the entire thing. No, I mean, definitely, I... I had very strong feelings that she served a purpose for him. And there's also a lot of people out there who feel that there was some homosexual vibes coming off him as well. Like the Ooh. fact that like, okay, we'll have to get into this. There's so much about the kind of like underlying lesbian themes in Rebecca, but we'll get into it. Yes. Um, these are not my theories, but I, I kind of co signed them <laughs> anyway. But yeah, I didn't sense a lot. I gave it a one for the movie their meet cute is like she sees him looking over a like cliff and she's like oh hello I just thought and he's like you just thought did you keep walking you know like basically like I wasn't about to jump like you don't know me keep walking and she's like ah and then she like!" <laughs> runs <laughs> and, then, and then they meet at breakfast and I, I, she just falls all over herself I mean Joan Fontaine does an amazing job she's like she looks like they just turned the heat up to 90 and she's like oh dear <laughs> and I love it. So anyway, but yeah, I, I definitely gave it like that. That's what gave it a one for me was the, the power of the acting. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Because like I was having to take the words and like try to create some sort of. where there was no you also (laughs) probably get into their headspace a lot more than I did you you are so much in her space Um, the narrator is unnamed but she's telling the story and she tells so much about her feelings and where she is and she did have a lot of kind of waxing on about how much she loved him but it was in such a childish way that it didn't even like come with a fun like this is an adult relationship it was like you having your first crush Yeah, she wanted his love so bad, but I think it's because she just wanted to be seen as like a lady of a manner, and those all failed horribly. At least for the first ninety percent of the book. So yeah, um, not that, not that spicy. Not a lot of like build up or anything. I mean, they get married very quickly. (laughs) There's, I mean, the proposal, honeymoon. I guess maybe they have sex at some point. I don't know. (laughs) Well, yeah, we definitely get no. Hint of that in the movie, but that has a lot more to do with like the Hayes Code of yeah. like early Hollywood area. Well, also, which we talk that about. it didn't exist in the book, maybe, <laughs> <laughs> or the fact they didn't have sex. Maybe they didn't. <laughs> so, anyway, but yeah. So trope. our next is our trope training, and a trope is a literary device um, that is often used in literature to kind of they're repeatedly used, and they're the same sort of things that you see happen over and over again. That yeah, kind it's like of a device. It's, a device. Literary device. Yeah. Or a cinematic device, I guess. Yeah. 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 So in this, like, I know that it had some tropes to it. I gave it a, a two in tropes, but it wasn't one of those books where it was kind of overwhelming how many tropes there were. I will say the story itself of Rebecca could very easily be looked at as a modern retelling of Jane Eyre. Mm. And so it definitely has that interesting bit to it because it is it feels so much like this other story and things that happen. So, so for the tropes, I would definitely call out maybe the fact that there's the the rich widower and that um, there's like kind of the dark, scary matron person. And this is kind of a coming of age story for our narrator. So there, there are some tropes to it, but it definitely wasn't the same tropes that I'm used to seeing in romance where... It's all just very, like, surface level, and there's 20 of them on a page. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like, check, check, check. I mean, and I think that's why maybe a lot of the fans, like, deep fans of Daphne du Maurier would, would argue this is a not a romance novel. And I would say this book, this book, I only read, like, the first quarter of it before I realized I had to change my plan. <laughs> um, and then the film, it's quite subversive in terms of tropes, because here we have... This, you know, as we said in the description, this young bride who comes to a manor to like, you know, and what's expected of her culturally in that role. Oh, yeah. And she was not raised in that at all. There are women like Downton Abbey. There are women that are raised to do that. And then there's people that come into that and are like, oh, no. No. I just love Downton Abbey so I much. love it so much, you guys. I was thinking about it a lot as I, I like, was reading this. Can we rewatch it? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, as it gets closer yeah. to Christmas time, I just want to watch Downton Abbey. And I just hear pretend. they might be making a second movie for us. They should just continuously make movies. I don't care Always. what the actors feel or think. I'm just no, kidding. you <laughs> are these characters now. This is your life. You are Lady Mary forever. But no, I, I think it was very subversive in the fact that like she does not just step into this role. I think a lot of movies at the time were kind of like bright, smiley, kind of comp- not comp- like mm. I should say that carefully, because like I think like women who like like I remember the sound of music. I said this. Oh, me- yes. This movie was very much in a lot of ways the opposite of the sound of music where like a young bride or a young person comes like a woman kind of comes and changes things up. At she a broken just broken in perfectly. Yeah and makes everything better, makes all the right choices. Yeah, like, sings. these are a few of my favorite things, and all the children are like, oh, my God, I want to, like, you know, it's like the nanny. Yeah. (laughs) It's the opposite of that. Not that. She shows up, and it's like, oh, this is hard. This is hard, (laughs) I don't know what I'm doing. So, like, I think the tropes in that way, it was, like, hard for me to rate, um, but I I gave it a three. I'm not sure if I could, I'll probably change that tomorrow, but for recording time, I'm giving it a three, just because I feel like I liked the subversive tropes almost. Mm -hmm. Very cool. And then we have our overall rating. What did we think of everything overall together? Goodreads gave it a Mm 4.23. So it obviously is a classic with many, many fans. Um, And so for me, for the book, I gave it a three. It was a wonderfully done book. And I think it just doesn't necessarily align with all of my tastes perfectly. And the biggest thing that I struggled with was just the naivety of the narrator and how frustrating that was to me the entire time because it was like having to watch a non-person just be a non-person. And then when she finally started to assert herself and become a person, even then she was weak and not... Mm great and it's like it's supposed to be this whole coming of age for her and i was like but you're not even turning into an awesome woman what are you doing aiding aiding and abetting aiding and abetting because you know what sometimes murder is okay we're gonna get into that um so my score for the movie was a four out of five and the only reason i didn't give this a five is something we'll get into at the end which they altered the ending slightly which i kind of felt was a little weird yeah and I'll get into it. That has a lot more to do, like I said, with the censorship happening in Hollywood Rather at the than time. What the story was, yeah, it was like them trying to make it appropriate, what they deemed appropriate, yeah, morally acceptable, Pfft. yeah. So, um, okay, so I, we have a couple main characters, yeah, obviously throughout um, that are, are the big ones to kind of pay attention to. Uh, the first being our heroine i guess she is unnamed unnamed she unnamed never, that's how blank of a slate she is yeah she ha, yeah no name they like kind of make a reference once in the book to like she told someone her name and they made a comment on it um but you never that happens at the very beginning and you never hear it for the rest of it mm-hmm. and I, at first when i started reading it, i was like did i miss her name what who what Especially when they're talking about Rebecca, 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 Rebecca all the time. It's like, wait, but who are you? I And I think that's such a genius move it's a great on choice. the author's part because <laughs> it just shows you how small she was in the eyes of Rebecca. Rebecca's the real name of this book. It's the name of the book. Yeah. And it's the name on the pillows. It's the name in the sky. Yes. Right? Yes. And it makes sense. But so, like, basically, she's young and experienced. Um, the story is following her coming into her own identity. But... I had a hard time following her on that journey because even when she came into her, her, her own identity, I feel like it was completely wrapped around someone else. Yeah. Well, yeah, she had a hard time. That's a hard understatement. Um, Maximilian de Winter is our other main character. Oh, a beautiful main man <laughs> who's also not so good, you guys. Not great. He yeah. has some anger issues, I'll say. He's a rich old sport, a rich old sport. So dapper. Um, He's he's much older than her. uh, Mm -hmm. More than 20 years. Her senior reserved, moody, condescending were the words that I wrote down when I was kind of taking in what. Exactly, this story was to me. And then when I looked up a description of him, they called him wealthy, charismatic, and dapper. And I was like, "Did we read the same book?" <laughs> Our descriptions well, are very different from each other. Yeah, but he is the very image of an English gentleman. Right. Yes. So, so take that for what it's you will. All about appearances. All about appearances. He's, he's old money. It seems very oh, yeah. old money. Yeah, like, definitely. Got, this family castle, owned When you have an English manor house on the yes. coast. Your family's had money for a long time. A long, long time. You didn't just come into it. You're not new. Like, you when have been bred to just be concerned with what the outside sees, which is entire, why part of the things entire happen. Your family is buried on the grounds? Yes. That is something. I um, do love a good family crypt. <laughs> yes, we've had a good couple of family crypts in, these, in this series. <laughs> yes, we have. <laughs> it means that you are well to do. Yeah, you live there, you die there. Um, and then we have uh, Miss Danvers, who's kind of the the head housemaid. Would you say of Manderley? Oh yeah, yeah. And She's Rebecca's ha- kind of, of the right hand person in terms yes. of like getting her life together. And she <sighs> worshipped Rebecca. Rebecca mm. was someone she admired, someone that she cared for, someone that she might want to have a physical relationship with, possibly twilight sisters well and see in the book i don't think they, <laughs> they really don't touch really go on that. There. in the movie though there's a lot of tension yeah um yeah there's a lot to say about that so miss danvers is a she's very i, I mean at least in the movie very icy very loyal to, yeah. to rebecca and doesn't take very kindly to sweet little miss new de winters yes she does not like her she does not approve uh, she finds it incredibly r- inappropriate that Max is bringing in this new person after only a year. The scandal. The scandal. And, like, how could he move on from the wonderment that is Rebecca? Rebecca. Yeah, I mean, you should see her walk on water. Like she. <laughs> I mean. I mean, the first half of yeah. the movie is she's like, tell me what Rebecca was like. And then they're all like, well, she was the most beautiful creature I've ever seen. And I'm like. Great, that's really just so beautiful. Like Frank's, like I was desperately in love with her. Mm-hmm. Frank was like the estate agent. Yeah, that's right. And he was like, oh, she was just perfect in every way. Um, let's see. And then our last character is Rebecca. Yes, I mean there were many other characters, but these are what we consider yeah. our core characters. Rebecca's and Rebecca is not of it. even there. She's the whole time, but the memory of her. Yes. (laughs) She's loved by all. She's a woman of breeding and impeccable taste. Like, Manderly wouldn't be what it was if it weren't for Rebecca coming into it, hosting parties at it, outfitting all the rooms. Like, she turned Manderly into the respected manor house that it was because it's been there for years, but it can easily fall into disarray from time to time. And it talks about how. Everything that was in that house was chosen by her and had been kind of revamped during her time as the woman of the house. Right. And it, it's interesting that, yeah, when our the second Mr. Winters, which who's our heroine, I should we call her our heroine, I guess. Our heroine moves in, she you're essentially moving into a museum or a mausoleum of yeah. Rebecca. Nothing was changed. I felt really bad for her. So yeah. I mean, at least Max had the foresight to move them from one wing. Into the other wing. But then he did that whole, don't go into the West Wing thing. I mean, he didn't actually say that, but that was the feeling. It was very, you know, Beauty and the Beast of Heroes I was the literally wing. about to say, you cannot tell a young, like, woman of beauty that you can't go, go there, the West Wing. She will go there. <laughs> I will, must now go there. She will find your flower. I hadn't even thought of it, and now I need to go take your flower. Well, so, okay. Yeah, it was, it's been... It, It was a whole thing for her to come into this. But should we kind of get into, like, what happens? Yeah. I mean, not a lot actually happens. Like, months pass, but there's only a few things happen. Like, the beginning is kind of that Rebecca's coming into this. or not sorry, Rebecca. Our heroine. (laughs) It's hard. See? It is hard. Yep. Our heroine is coming into this space and starting to try to find her place in Manderley. And she is not confident enough to, like, put herself forward as the new woman in the household. She lets Mrs. Danvers make all the calls, doesn't want to tread on anyone's toes. And sometimes she does get curious and she does that impulsive thing. And then she gets in trouble with it for Max. It backfires terribly. Oh, my goodness. She feels like she behaves like a punished dog. (laughs) Um. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's hard. I mean, like from the get-go, I don't think she had any idea what she was getting herself into. You know, she's... Oh, no. She's not a woman of breeding. No. She didn't grow up in this world. She's got a very common background. She is a... Kind of a lady's companion to an older, wealthy woman in Monte Carlo. What is a companion? It's a friend of the bosom, according oh. to the dictionary. Um, like, Yeah, she tells Max that when they have breakfast together. She's like, you're a companion? She goes, oh, the, the dictionary says it's a friend of the bosom. Oh, yeah. Um, and I guess I forgot to mention, they met each other in Monte Carlo. That <laughs> happens before them going to Manterly. Yes. I guess that's important. But honestly, their meeting and their relationship built around that is just so... It's not the bread and butter. It's not great. It's not a romance that I'm dying for. Based on the previews that I'm seeing for the Netflix one, I think they're going to play up the sex and actual chemistry that might be there. So that could be exciting if there were actual chemistry, but like for the longest period when they're in Monte Carlo, she's like referring to him as a brother or a father. And like, there's definitely no moments of even sexual tension and then, at some point, she's like, "Oh, I've just realized that I am desperately in love with him for why I don't know why and she like throws a childish fit in the car one day. <laughs> just, oh, yes, that's right. I was having a lot of problems with her <laughs> at the, this point from early had a lot on of feelings towards her, yeah, she's in not mature. your... <laughs> yeah, yeah um, she's I mean, one thing the movie really does well is it kind of shows the difference in their character. You know, Laurence Olivier as Max, you can tell he's cold, you can tell he's got some serious brick walls up. And uh, our heroine, Joan Fontaine, she's young, she's naive. She falls all over herself around him. She's she's falling around this older kind of rich woman who's like, after they run into Max and the heroine has no idea how to think or talk to Max, she just turns to her and she goes, I'm only looking out for your best interest, but get your shit together. You don't know what to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then and you need to behave better. You're embarrassing me. Yeah, I'd hate I hate for you to embarrass yourself. And so then the next day he asks her to breakfast. He's very insistent and forward. With her. It's kind of clear he has a thing for her. At least in and the movie. And that does her companion get sick? Yes, there is an illness okay. and so she has a lot more time on her hands. Thank God she got sick because that's how she fell in love. And yeah. she basically parades around saying I'm going to a tennis lesson in the movie. But she's not going to her tennis lessons. She's going on drives. She's going on drives with Max, where she tells him that she actually likes to sketch and stuff like that. She constantly talks about how she likes to sketch, but never, ever does. In the movie, she sketches. Oh, well, that's nice. Yeah, She never, ever does it in the book. It's like, and I could stretch sketch, but oh, but, I don't want to. Uh, let's just focus on you, Max. But like <laughs> In the movie, the first kind of outing is she's like, well, I was going to go out sketching. And he's like, well, I'll get the car and I'll take you. And it's like kind of sweet. Mm-hmm. But then she says one thing or another. And every time they go out, she kind of like puts her foot in her mouth. But not not in a way that like I don't think she means it. Like it's just he's so overcome with grief and anger about Rebecca's death that he's like, let's go home. You know, it's yeah. like everything's going fine Then all of a sudden she'll say or do something. And he just like turns into an ice cube. And she's like, yeah. what did I do? What did I do? <laughs> Tell me what I did. Like, please, oh, please forgive me. Yes, it's exactly kind of like very much begging like, oh, I'm, I'm so stupid. Like, I'll be your companion. And and it's like none. There's just no accountability on Max's part that maybe he's a grieving, grieving widower <laughs> who like needs to. There was no therapy. I don't know. Like maybe needs he to needs like, to sort his shit out. He needs to sort his shit out. You know, it's very clear. So, yeah, they, they basically get to know each other that way. And he. And I think part yeah. of the thing is that she's she does all these things Wrong, but it's never ever from her trying to make real connections. It's like she always imagines things in her brain, and like, well, if I say this to him, then this will happen. And she'll be like spacing out for the next 10 minutes, just imagining what could happen. Oh, interesting. And then you come back to the moment and she does a thing and then it goes a completely different way than the last couple pages you've been reading about the imagining she was having of how it would go. And that was really frustrating to me because I was like, she's so living in her head rather than actually showing up as a vulnerable person. Like she's aware that he lost his wife, but she never ever has the courage to try to at least talk to him about it in that way instead she like kind of talks around it and then that's how she always ends up putting her foot in the mouth her mouth rather than just trying to face the situation and be like I realize that this must be a thing she's always just kind of tiptoeing around it and then like hitting nerves and (laughs) I would so much rather hit a nerve by being honest and vulnerable with someone like rather than just continually hitting those nerves because I'm too scared to face the conversation you are a modern woman You know, and I I, yeah, because it's like I think about like the yeah, see, this is what you get in the book. You get a lot more of her headspace. And in the movie, it just kind of seems like she's young and he's clearly got this agenda and won't tell her. And then she's like, why do you keep taking me out? And she's like, I know I'm not, you know, smart or. Mm-hmm. blah, blah. And I don't wear pearls or black satin. And he's like, don't ever wear pearls or black satin because I think yes. he makes it clear very early on. He doesn't want a second Rebecca. Yeah. And so he wants something she, completely opposite of re- it's, what it's Rebecca was. It's very hard was. for her to hear that because yeah. she has these preconceived notions of what a woman of class is. And mm-hmm. also it's 1938. You know, she's a, ba- a woman in 1938. Like she's probably like thinking like, oh, I should you know, make him happy. I don't know. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. not all and women in 1930 Rebecca were that must way. to like, make him happy. They were Rebecca, together for so many years. She's the one who got away. And by away, I mean with died. <laughs> You know, I can never fill those shoes. So it's, and there's a whole this like theme around like, you know, in the m- mid 19th century about like what it meant to be like a good wife and like. Yes. And so, and yeah, that's a play here. And she she builds up resentment around it, but oh, never handles it in a good way. Like, there is a point where there's a book of poems that he has in his car, and he's like, oh, take it and read it. And she opens it, and it has a message handwritten to him from Rebecca in the front of it. And she's borrowing this book from him. And while borrowing it, she tears out that page tears it into tiny pieces, and burns it. (laughs) And I'm like, "Wow, girl, girl, this is not, like, you're gonna have to be returning to that that to him. He didn't say, take this to keep. He said, you can borrow it. And what is he gonna do when he gets sick? And, like, what we learn is, like, he obviously isn't as infatuated with Rebecca as she imagines him to be, so I'm sure he wouldn't care. But, like, what if he was? What if he was the true grieving widower... And then you got back to something you lent to someone and they destroyed the front of it because of their own insecurities. (laughs) Yeah. No, see, that wasn't covered in the movie at all. Their, Their courtship was kind of short lived. And that's interesting. She does that in the movie, though. Which I'm sure in the book, how they covered that was when she moves to Mandalay, she accidentally breaks a family item the into cupid. the cupid and then hides it. And then the staff gets in trouble with each other because they think someone stole it. And it was like, why didn't you tell anyone? So I think they did cover that kind of insecure, impulsive, you know, kind of just naive young girl, I guess, in yeah, that. like acting out in these ways to be like, oh, that's Fucking Rebecca. Fucking Re- Well, yeah, I mean, I guess. But see, we don't get... I don't get her headspace in the movie again. So for me, I guess, like, I didn't fault her too much for that. I think it was obviously not a smart move. But, yeah, when she... Kind of skipping ahead, and we can come back. But, like, when she moves into Mandalay and goes into the morning room to do her correspondence, which is such a funny way of saying, like, I don't know, maybe she calls people back. Um, She... <laughs> sits down and like all the paper has RW on it. all of the towels have RW on Which, it and seriously, it's like, why didn't we get rid of that? like exactly I was kind of like, okay, Max, like if I was bringing home a new bride, I'd be like, get get all this in storage or do something with it, give it to her family. I don't know. I'd figure it out before I just brought my new bride home and was like, okay, go do your office work and there's just like all these pictures of my dead wife it's it's a yeah. lot so i think she was just really triggered and when she accidentally broke the little piece she just kind of like shoved it in the drawer and was like i don't wanna, i don't want to deal with this which again i didn't have her headspace like you did so to me i was like i don't really fault her that much for that it was a dumb mistake no one's been particularly nice to her but right yes. so their courtship was not too great in my opinion yes and like he had the worst proposal in the world Like he didn't even he didn't just come out and ask her to marry him. He just like put forward because she was freaking out because she was never going to see him again. And he's like, well, you can go to New York or you can come back to Mandalay with me. Right. Yeah. I'm going to be your maid. I don't know. Right. Right. So, yeah, when it becomes clear that she has to go to New York with her boss, she runs to him and she's like "Ah," and he's like, well, do you want to come to New York? or Do you want to come to Mandalay? And she's like, do you need a maid? Is for, are you just looking for a maid? And he's like, I'm proposing to you, idiot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it was a terrible proposal. Like if someone proposed to me that way, I'd be like, oh no, this is not the relationship that I want. I mean, she kind of, she just eats it right up. She's like, she can't even, she can't even believe he would consider her. Yeah. And then. They do this thing where he tells her boss. Do they have the mm-hmm. scene in the book where the boss comes up and she yeah, goes. So she doesn't even talk to the woman that she's been the companion to for no. months and months. She's like too scared to do it. So he sends her to the other room and he's like, I'm going to tell her what's up. And don't so, you worry about. It. Yeah. In the movie, he's like, don't you worry about a thing. I'll handle it. And she kind of just like stands back. Meek, like kind of like very much like a father and a child who's going to stand up for her and kind of basically advocate for her. Yeah. When she could just basically say like. Surprise. <laughs> I'm in love, married. and I'm getting married. Like she wasn't even in the room with him when he did it. Oh really? So in she didn't movie. get to hear what he said. She was in the other room, like worrying about kinda of packing things and like oh, oh, oh And so all she saw was the after oh. effects is like he went off and then like Mrs. Van Hopper comes in and she's all like I hope you're happy with yourself. This is gonna end terribly. Yeah, yeah. Um she's there in the movie the whole exchange. It's very awkward and Miss Van Hopper who's very much like all about the the dollars like she she loves Max because she's like you're rich mm-hmm. I'm rich let's be rich together. Yeah. Um she kind of like looks at her does like a one up and down and goes Mr. Winters ha huh? you know kind of like she's she yeah. definitely clocks her and she goes you have no idea what it's you know what it takes to be a oh, lady yeah. of a great she's house. Been her companion and like kind of almost training her in how to behave mm-hmm. in good society and honestly she's been failing it. She's been running off and just <laughs> hanging out with this rich guy. And then she asks her, Ms. Ho- Ms. her boss, Van Hopper, asks her, have you been doing anything you shouldn't? She pretty much is like, are you getting married because you're pregnant? Yeah. <laughs> have you been fucking this guy? Because otherwise I can't understand why he would want to go with you. Yeah. <laughs> like you have no personality. You have no personality. And no you class. Have to offer what is going on. But who knows because he's just straight up in love with her and they get married right away. But he doesn't tell her that he's in love with her. In the book, he does not tell her he loves her until he is confessing to her that he has murdered someone. I think that's true. I think that's also true. And I'm like, and to me, that is just like, it rings out as manipulation. It's to me, the fact that you're not telling someone this until you're like confessing something that they can use against you. Like to me, that just like put off my alarm bells of like, this person is using this other person and he's pulling this out now because he knows that this will kind of distract her from the reality of murder. He's the stoic, he's stereotypical stoic, you know, very, you know, not very gonna get into the silly nillies, emotional stuff. Um, Yeah. And so it's not till he, he basically like spoiler alert, you know, it's that he murdered Rebecca. He did. Um, (laughs) That he's like, oh, by the way, I love you. Mm. So (laughs) it's, it's a lot. Yeah, so the, I don't like Max. <laughs> no, <laughs> like, Max, he's kind of a twit. I don't really dig him either. Yeah. Um, but anyways, they go back to Manderley. There they go. They're And there. there she continues to struggle with being a person. Like, she makes up in her mind that all of the servants don't like her. And honestly, the only one that's written that way is Mrs. Danvers. Mrs. Mm-hmm. Danvers is the only one that ever reacts to her in a negative way. All the other ones are like, they're doing normal servant stuff and they're polite and nice and kind. But in her mind, she's like, they're laughing at me. They're laughing at me behind doors. And I'm yeah. like, you're making this up in your brain. It's it's hard because like, yeah, she in the movie, it's very similar. Miss Danvers clearly does not like her from the get go. She's cold. She's reserved. It's creepy. Um, and the rest of the staff is quite accommodating to her, you know, they she doesn't really know she Van Hopper was correct. She has no idea what it takes to be a lady of a house. It's like a job, you know, and I think like that really opened that up to me. I was like, this is like back in the day, ladies and lords of a house. That was their job to be kind of like a public figure. And she has no idea what it takes. And she's very. Like she doesn't she doesn't ask the servants to do anything. I remember that at one yeah. point he tells her she has to eat breakfast or it'll be extremely offensive to the chef because that's his livelihood. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So like if imagine if you were doing your job and your your client just said Nah, I'm not hungry that. it would be kind of like I guess like back in the day it was like super like you didn't do good enough job this food's not appetizing and mm-hmm. then what does she do she drinks her coffee and goes oh no sorry I'm not hungry after Max leaves and like doesn't eat the food and you could tell I at least in the movie the butler was kind of like oh you know it says a lot that she yeah. didn't do that but she kind of doesn't pick up on any of this she's just kind of wandering around the house like where's that room oh this way and she's not asking for help she has no idea and what it takes, and also her husband is just kind of like business as usual. He just kind yeah, of drops he goes her on off. about her day and just figures she'll figure it. He doesn't. N- he offers her no orientation or training or like I mean, whatever. Like, and yet I feel like he went out of his way to choose someone that wouldn't be super because he wanted the antithesis of Rebecca. He almost yes. wanted a fish out of water. Yes, and so. it just kind of puts her it's in a painful, bad position. It's painful to watch her. And Miss Danvers definitely kind of capitalizes on this, she very much, uh, in the the book I've read that she's much more maternal to the late Rebecca and kind of like just very loyal to her. But Mm -hmm. there's something almost malicious about her in the movie where like every time she comes in, she's got those side eyes and she's like, well, you'll see, I have the menu for lunch in here. Do you want that? And she's like, whatever Rebecca would have liked. Mm -hmm. And she's like, you know, Ms. Danvers kind of, like, rolls her eyes and she, like, walks out. Honestly, I think it would have created some more respect with Mrs. Danvers if she, like, showed up as a person Mm -hmm. and, like, kind of shared things like, well, actually, I prefer this kind of food. Or, like, tried to interact in any sort of personality. Yeah. Instead, she was just there like, oh, well, whatever. You just keep running the house. Right. And then Max's uh, sister and brother-in-law come over for luncheon. and And they're really great. I mean, oh, really? In the movie, they're kind of obnoxious. Oh wow. Like I will like Beatrice is described as not having a lot of tact. She like puts her foot in the mouth, her mouth. She's very direct. But she's always so kind to our heroine. She's like, if she notices that the heroine is struggling with something, she tries to direct attention away from it mm-hmm. and then like tries to offer her like help and guidance. Mm-hmm. And the heroine doesn't always take that it seems like she doesn't see like the assistance that's being offered her here's someone who does what she's supposed to be doing now and she like doesn't at all think no. oh let me kind of learn from this and even though she like she is a little bit she's like I feel like she Beatrice is a little bit more like me where she's just mm-hmm. very like out there like talking to people and um, and I think I'm a little bit more sensitive to feelings of other people but it was never a malicious thing she was always super kind and even when bad things happened like she came out and tried to assist the heroine with it tried to make things better um and the heroine just would turn away from that like basically the only one she ever wants to turn to is Maximilian and if anyone shows up to try to help her she just like blocks them out Yeah, she seems to hear what they're saying, but not really digest what they're saying. And she does finally seek help. But no, Beatrice and her husband, they they meant well. And they definitely were kind of on her side trying to help her. But I remember at one point, I don't know if this happens in the book, but uh, Beatrice turns to her and kind of goes, why don't you try pulling back your hair? And then she pulls back her hair and she goes, oh no, that's much worse. And then she goes, and she goes, I can tell by looking at you that you don't, you don't care how you look because based on how you dress. But here's my advice. And like, she's just overwhelmed with the stimuli. You know, Mm -hmm. Beatrice is kind of a woman who I think, again, she wishes she could be like, it's, but it's, it's hard, you know? And so, yeah, I I don't know. She does have some moments like that, but then she also paired it with a lot of like reassuring that like, You are not Rebecca, and that's great. And for some reason, I don't feel like our heroine ever heard that in these (laughs) interactions where she's like, "I'm really excited that you're here, and you're you, and that you're not Rebecca." I'm so excited about this. (laughs) Yeah, see, I don't remember. And I'm like, you have an you have an ally here, and you are just ignoring this woman wanting to be your ally (laughs) and wanting to help you through it. Like, because I feel feel like Beatrice also realized like you have to start getting out there and like making the calls and doing the things that a woman of a house needs to do. And I'll be here with you. I'll help you do those things. And I feel like the heroine just wanted to think like to avoid doing those things at all. And so would put them off until she accidentally got golden into them in another way and then sprung on her. It's like, well, you had someone that right. was willing to walk you through this and you pushed them away. <laughs> Maybe the movie was just a lot more sympathetic to the heroine because I think so. Yeah, definitely they portray a lot more people as being a little obnoxious. I mean that the the service staff, the servant staff is they're helpful to her. I mean not Miss Danvers of course, but everyone else kind of just doesn't they don't really know how to help her. It almost feels like. And and in the movie she does reach out for help from those people, but she doesn't reach out to Maximilian as much like I don't remember her because again it's a movie so they're skipping over major parts of the book you know whether or not they could help it I remember she she, reach out for him for help but she's like I don't care what everyone else's feedback is I just want to get the feedback from the things I'm trying she definitely wants it's Max's final word that she cares about most because to him he if he approves of her she approves of herself yes so yeah, and she has th- no self worth. No, and this this kind of leads to many attempts to please Max that actually don't end up pleasing Max because he's. To me, I think it's pretty clear he doesn't want to write another Rebecca. So like when she gets a makeover and like wears this new For the fancy dress party with a new f- no, oh. uh, they, they watch the home movies. Oh, we didn't have that in the book. Oh, interesting. I don't know this. Wow. There's this scene where she decides to get like a new dress and do her hair and they're going to watch some home movies of their honeymoon. And he's like, he looks at her and he's like, oh, you've done something to your hair. And she's like, you don't like it. And he's like, hey, you don't have to do that. It looks fine. You look fine. You know, like very 1940s compliment. And she's like, you can tell she wanted well, June. more. <laughs> exactly. You, well, can she, you can tell she can tell she wanted someone. She wants him. To fall all over himself for her, but he's just kind of not going to. Be. Maybe he's, he's not just that kind older. of person. Yeah, he's just also yeah, like she's in her twenties. He is late forties or early fifties or he's something. I don't like he's, he's like he fine. He's like you look fine, and but he, he's even almost like a little uncomfortable with how dressed up he is. He does not want another Rebecca. And yes. then there's this. That's where they find out that she broke the piece, and Miss Danvers comes in, and there she's in a fight with another person because she's like, I think it was Robert. Yeah, he stole it. And then she goes, perhaps next time Mr. Winters can tell me if she breaks it and that way I don't. And she goes, that'll be all. That'll be all, you know, like uh, Max says, that'll be all, Miss Danvers, you know, kind of just like shoes her out. But it's like clear that Miss Danvers is like, thanks a lot, bitch, you caused problems. Yeah, well, and she did. She did, She like broke this Cupid thing and then put all the pieces in an envelope and hid it in the room. Like, it was so childish. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. But,
1: um,
0: and he has another moment where he's like, maybe I was selfish in marrying you. And she's like, no, no, no. You know, what, no. what did I do? We are happy, aunt. we? Ha- There's lots of points where they have breakdowns Like, little breakdowns in the relationship where Max, like, really looks at it with realistic eyes and he's like, this is a terrible idea. Uh, And, like, we can't ever be happy together. And then she, like, goes into hysterics and she's just like, don't ever say that. I love you more than life itself. And we can truly be happy. Please tell me you're happy with me. And those moments also just killed me. Right. Kind of like he's just like, fine, I'm happy. Yeah, fine. Just stop crying. Just yeah, stop. that happens again, too, when they go on a walk one day and she runs down to the to, to the collect beach. Jasper and she finds Rebecca's. little Yeah. And he house. like specifically tells her, don't go over that way. And she's like, ah, I'm going over that way. And then it's just just stricken when he is upset with she's her like, for what do? doing what he told her not to do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that whole thing was weird, too, because it's like clearly it's just he doesn't he want didn't her to go see over there because that's where how. he murdered someone. <laughs> Yeah, no. um, but yeah anyway. so this goes on, and then. Uh, How about that? Or, uh, yes. I was going to ask about the fancy dress party. What? Well, yes, and we have to talk what leads up to the fancy dress party and some of the major changes between the book and the movie, right? According to Miss Danvers' character. Oh, okay. Yes. So, kind of at, at one point or another, Rebecca, when, they, when she first moves into the house, Miss Danvers shows her to her room in the East Wing, and she's like, it's a fine room. And she's like not as fine as the West Wing. Exactly. She goes, She's like, It's almost as fine as the West Wing room. And and of course the heroine's like, What's that? And she's like, That's Miss Rebecca's room. Basically, that's that's the most beautiful room. Where you can see the sea. Yes. And again, it's kind of like showing the heroine, this is kind of like the second best place. He's I mean, you know, you he are the second have, wife. Right. You're the second wife, you're second best. You'll never fill the shoes of the West Wing where her palace quarters were. And mm-hmm. it's like, again, why didn't he just clean it out, I guess, and like give her the view of the sea? I don't know. Like that just has a lot. And I mean part of it I'm sure is that he didn't want to look out at, at the place where he murdered someone. Um but we don't know this at this time, right? We don't know this time. <laughs> And Instead so we're just like, why is he denying his to deal with, with any of this. So her curiosity gets the best of her and she decides to go into the West Wing and look, it's beautiful. She goes into the room. It's like palace quarters, like beautiful canopy beds and windows and jewels and lace. and And big open rooms compared with theirs on the other side, which just seemed like they weren't made for, you know, the best of the best. Extravagant. And um, who is to find her there but Miss Danvers? Mm-hmm. And kind of calls her out on it and says, like, I've been wanting to show you this room every day since you got here. Like, why didn't you, you ask me? Asked. Yeah. And she gives her a full kind of, like, Disneyland tour of the late Miss Rebecca's room and walks around. She goes, this is, you know, every... I would stay up every night and wait for her to get home from her parties with Max. And, and then she kind of, like, basically... Takes the heroin and makes her act like Rebecca, and she sits her in the chair, and she goes, and I would brush her hair twenty times each way, and she would tell me the laughs and the parties, and she's like, oh, and they just had the best time. There's a picture of Max on this whatever makeup uh table. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the words right now. <laughs> oh my god, but fantasy, yeah. And she goes, oh, you moved her, you moved her. Uh, Her brush, there we go, much better. And she puts it right back, like, she's like, nothing's been changed since the night that she left, nothing at all. And then she walks her to her closet, she's like, Do you want to see her clothes? And opens the closet door and she's like, and she takes out this like big fur coat and she goes, A present from Mr. DeWinters. He was always showering her with gifts all year long. And then she like takes it and rubs it over the heroine's face and she goes, Do you feel that? It's like elegance. And then she puts <laughs> it back, then walks her to her underwear drawer. And she goes, I folded all of these myself. And she takes it out. And the way she kind of looks and holds the underwear in such reverence, it's so not straight. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's very, I was watching this and I'm like, did the maid love Rebecca? Did Rebecca and the maid have a thing? And it's almost kind of like she's kind of seducing. The heroine too. She's kind of like, she's like, come over here and look at the bed. And she's like, look at this negligee she used to wear. She's Mm -hmm. like, it's sheer. Do you see? And like, why would you tell someone that? And Mm -hmm. she's in this, like the heroine's in a fugue state, just like completely overwhelmed with grief, with agony, with jealousy, with everything. And it's just really fucking weird. And then she's like, I, I have to go. And then she like leaves. And that's when she kind of goes back into the morning room and finds out. She says, I'm going to change things up. So she calls Miss Danvers in and says, I want all these things moved out of this room. And oh. I'm going to. And then she goes, but they're Mr. Winters. And she goes, I'm Miss Winter now. Oh, we do not have that moment. We have. See, they're much more sympathetic that- to her in the movie, I think. We have all that other stuff. Um, so basically, the reason she even goes up there is because she sees someone looking out at her from the window in the West Wing when she's out there and it's because Mrs. Danvers, Mrs. Danvers had had like a creepy guy visiting and stuff. It's or maybe a favorite cousin. Oh, favorite there. cousin. So um, but she goes up there and she does that whole thing. It doesn't read as sexual. It definitely mm-hmm. has that feeling of reverence in it. And I don't remember if she specifically looked at the under things. I know she didn't was looking at clothes but um, and then like at her nightgown, that because she, she had the nightgown laid out because it was laid out and Rebecca never came back. And so she just always had the... that still laid out waiting for her to return different circumstances it would be incredibly sad but because of everything it's just kind of creepy and it's like it's Mm -hmm. been a year her you know her body's been found and so it's like you know put it away but she doesn't she didn't and it's clear that there's some love there and so yeah and in the book it's much more as a maternal love like i think you had mentioned earlier from what you've heard. And that's how I felt more. It seemed more like she looked on Rebecca, like almost as like a most beloved daughter, Mm -hmm. like, and so much so to where like she invests her identity kind of into Rebecca. Mm -hmm. And after that, the heroine does not find her ground, does not decide to make her move stuff. She just kind of lets it go. And she's like, well, that happened. Well, yeah, and at the end of that conversation where she, in the movie, where she says, I'm the Mr. Winters now, and, you know, she was like, and I want to have a ball. It's her decision to have a ball. Oh, wasn't forced upon her by the people of the countryside that are no. like, please do your duty as the hostess in this house. Yeah, no, it's not. She she decides to do it, and then she asks for help from Miss Danvers, kind of employs her, basically, and says, I want, you know, the finest gown, and, and Miss Danvers, uh, Decides to help her, kind of. And um, she also says, and Miss Danvers, I I want to forget that everything this afternoon happened. Kind of like tells her like that never happened between you and know, I was most inappropriate. And it's very interesting because she almost gets her footing. And I don't know if this happens in the book, but then Miss Danvers helps her find a costume for the ball. But then helps in quotes, helps her, but then kind of just basically gives her one of Rebecca's dresses Oh. Because okay. Rebecca has a painting in the foyer which of course the heroine has no idea who that is because no one fucking told her that's a big ass picture, of Rebecca. It's not Rebecca. In the book. Oh well. in the book it's Caroline something, oh. Caroline De Winter. But at the very last fancy ball that they had, oh maybe that Rebecca was... recreated that dress and went as that at the last ball. Okay, maybe that was the, I maybe have missed that in the movie. But basically, she says, "Oh, you should. This is beautiful. I, you I should see, go with this." That's a good painting of there. That's a really You're good idea. Painting uh, heroine and yes. heroin's like, "Oh, thank you, Miss Danvers." Mm. And like when Mrs. Danvers had her very vulnerable crazy moment with her in the room um you're like oh maybe this can like shift the way they go especially because like the person uh, our heroine doesn't kind of correct her or do anything but then because the favorite cousin had come by um rebecca or er, the heroine did not tell maxim but she mentioned it to beatrice and then at some point like it comes back to maxim it turns out that it wasn't beatrice that told her it turns out frank had noticed the guy's car and mentioned it but he then he has a temper issue and he berates mrs danvers like makes her cry and so then mrs danvers thinks that it's the heroine that told him because she was the only one in the house I see. that knew that the kissing cousin had come by. <laughs> and, and so at that point, she then became very reserved. Other people came calling and they demanded a fancy ball and reluctantly Maxim and the... And the heroine are like, okay, I guess we'll have this fancy ball. I guess it's oh, our duty. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah, and, then and maybe it's a point of power for her. And wow. she doesn't want to do anything to plan it. She's like, I don't know how to do that stuff. And Frank and Maxima are like, it's okay. Mrs. Danvers knows exactly what we'll do. We'll just have her do the same thing she always does. And But she's like stressing. She's like, what costume will I do? What will I do? And so Mrs. Mm-hmm. Danvers comes in like, and mentions like, well, I... I see that uh, that painting right there. looks like a really good one. So she definitely sets her up <laughs> yeah, to fail in that way. She but it wasn't her. a result of her standing up to her. It was because she thought that she had been tattled on okay. by the heroine. So there's some differences there for sure in how we got to that point. I didn't know that. That's cool. That's cool to find that out. So the ball she's so impressed with herself, the heroine. She builds up anticipation for pages upon pages where she's like, I'm going to have the best costume and you're going to be shocked out of your life. You're just going to be so shocked. And Max is going to just fall over himself. He's going to be so beautiful. Oh God, he's not, he is not pleased. He, everyone's faces turn ashen and are quiet and shocked and shocked, not in a good way, shocked in a, Oh fuck. Like it's, Big dick energy and the worst whip backfires because everyone's, like, too bold. How dare you dress up like Rebecca? Even Beatrice, when she turns, she goes, Becca. You know, yeah. she sees it and, Becca. And then, of course, she just, the heroine flips out, cries, runs back up the stairs. Refuses to come out. And Max doesn't go and chase after her or anything. He's just like, I'm moving on with the night. See you when I see you. And She'll dry her own tears. Let her <laughs> yeah. cry it out. And Beatrice, like, goes up after her and like, she's like, I want to explain to you what happened. That was the costume that Rebecca wore for the last thing. And it's not like even it was a costume that was lying around. Mrs. Danvers mentioned it. And so she like put together a sketch of it and sent it off to London to have a dress specially made. So it wasn't the same dress, Mm -hmm. like the same physical dress, but it was a dress created exactly. What a fucking mess. And like Beatrice is there trying to be like, okay, like let's manage this. You can wear this dress and we'll just say that. They mixed up the measurements and sent you the wrong size and you can't wear what they sent you, which is a shame. But this is a beautiful evening dress. You can put this on and like I'll help cover for you. I'll do like Beatrice was there being supportive. And she's just like, wow, leave me to my shame. Wow. Um, See, that was not covered in the book. The book is she runs up the stairs just crestfallen, just weeping, and then as they're kind of settling back into the party is when they get the distress call that there's a boat. That oh! Like, that interrupts the party? That doesn't even happen until the next day in <laughs> the book. It's it's interesting because like maybe I was like, I just looked away from the TV, but I'm pretty sure it was in the night sky, they saw a firework, mm. and they were like, everyone, run outside, there's a, a ship in distress or something, that's what that means. I was kind of like, what? And yeah. then... um, when the heroine goes down to see what's going on, you know, she's like, where's everyone going? And and they're like, oh, they found the sailboat. And she's like, the sailboat? And they're like, yeah, the sailboat. Rebecca's sailboat. Oh, so there wasn't a different wreck that happened. So in the movie, they had already established that they had, quote unquote, found Rebecca's boat and her body two months later. But yes. now they apparently found another, like the ship that was in distress... Found another sailboat, and it was Rebecca's. And so, yeah, she's like, "Where's Max?" And like, we don't know. And it's kind of like you think he's off somewhere, just having a fucking breakdown because they found Rebecca's actual boat. So yeah. where does she find him? The house where you know her little oh, Rebecca's the cottage thing? little cottage on the oh, sea. Whoa! And that's where he comes out with like, "I'm a murderer, darling. You idiots. Well, and it's like it's it's like one of those things where and i get, we'll get into this well so let's get into this so that's so this is basically how he she gets there and she's like i'm so sorry about last night or something she's like i you know and he was like oh you know i didn't even that was same thing about it yeah. <laughs> yeah and she was that's like that's the same <laughs> right and um and he basically admits to her he was like you think i loved rebecca you think i loved rebecca ha huh. i didn't love her i hated, I hated her. her i loathed her i loved her and it turns out like He met Rebecca, and the way he describes this, I'll never forget, because it was, like, really weird. He was like, I met her, and he was like, and I was, of course, taken with her. She was very charming, and everyone told me she was, like, the perfect match. You know, marry her, and it would be, like, a beautiful, harmonious harmonious union. But, like, about four days into it, the way he described it, he said it was clear that she could not love. Mm -hmm. Or something like that. And was that because she was a lesbian? Uh, Maybe. And then... He's like, he's like that. And then he tells the heroine, you know, when you saw me on that cliff, that's where um, I considered first murdering her. I first considered murdering Rebecca <laughs> because she kind of came out to me. She kind of laughed at me. I was like, ha, it's clear that, you know, you can't get out of this engagement now. So uh, let's just play the part. Okay. And it turns out like Rebecca was a bitch who, oh, kind of, yeah. who basically manipulative. A manipulative bitch who was like, you use me, I'll use you. Let's get this fucking over with and yeah. live our separate lives. But because we can't face the shame of ending this engagement. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So it's very similar the way that part plays out in the book for them they the fancy party happens and wraps up like she eventually comes down to dinner and finishes up the evening but doesn't see maxim like the whole time he's always off doing other things um and then the next morning she wakes up and maxim never came into bed and so she's like they slept in the same room yes that i don't I think they slept uh, in the same bed, but Hollywood they were in the same censorship. room. Of course, are not yes. going to sleep in the same room. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, they're in the same room, but th- they—it sounded like they had two beds next to each other, um, rather than the same a bed. Good Christian but, couple should. Yes. Uh, but he never had come back that evening, and then Beatrice had headed out because they had to get onto other things. But she left a note for her, like checking in and um, all that, and then. There's the huge blast, and that's because there's a ship that has shipwrecked out in the harbor. And while trying to figure out what's going on with that shipwreck, they sent a diver below to see if they could get that ship out. And while he was down there, he finds the sailboat. Um, See, like, I can't tell if I just didn't do a good job. I I was watching the movie the entire time, or maybe they did say that in the dialogue and I just didn't pick up on it. But it seems like that's a much clearer explanation of for what why happened. they yes. found it yeah and that adds up and they even make the comment they're like oh thank goodness it didn't shipwreck last night we never would have heard the blasts over all of our fireworks we were setting off <laughs> maybe okay yeah maybe it was a firework that would not a distress call that's weird but for that entire day she just keeps missing maxim like he's going one place she's going another and she's arriving to everywhere being like where's maxim Where's Maxim? Anyone seen him? Where's Maxim? Hey, uh, Frank, you seen Maxim? No, we have a lot of business going on. There's actually- Business, some, business, business. business. like, goodbye. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, and, and they have the whole scene where he, like, comes out to her. That's when everything transitions, and you find out that Rebecca is clearly a malicious, horrible woman, and- Who, like, manipulated manipul- Max, and, and like- and when he killed her, him. she said she was like pregnant. She said that she was with another man's child and that he would have to raise this other man's child for forever. So he had to shoot her in the stomach. Oh, God. Um, See, now here's the major difference in the, in the book. or no, sorry. Yeah. In the book, he shoots her in the stomach. In the movie, he pretty much says like, I couldn't take it anymore. She was so awful to me. And it was clear she was like a loveless woman and, I don't know if he was just making allusions that she was like not straight. Um, but he um he is like, she came at me and she's like, Well, Max, what do you think? And she kind of made him think she was pregnant. She was like, you know, if I ever have another man's baby, no one will be able to tell. And um, you can't do anything about it because what are you gonna do, Max, huh? What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do, huh? Ma, da, da. And she gets in his face, and of course he slaps her. Oh. And then she falls on accident as a result of the impact and hits her head on something and then dies. I hate those kind of deaths. You know? Like, that has happened in other movies. I guess that absolved him of being a murderer. Yeah, he, maybe they the were movie, trying to make him not a murderer. Like, well, in this, they try to absolve through other things. Right, so in this... So basically, then, he takes her body out into the ocean and, like... And sinks takes her the cap, boat. Takes the... Whatever they're called out. The, the caps. The caps. He capsizes yeah. her boat and then, like, lets her go. Um, and... This has a lot more to do with Hollywood in the 1940s and something called the Hayes Code, which is basically a moral guideline for Hollywood from like mid-30s to, gosh, 1968. And they could not have any, there was like different factors that a movie could not have because it would like lower the moral standpoint of the viewer. One was like nudity, definitely homosexuality. Definitely yes. any sort of interracial marriage, honestly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, some of these things were not followed. I mean, we look at movies like Some Like It Hot and that, how'd that get through? Yeah. Um Great movie. But like, <laughs> it's just like these f- stupid rules were like, oh, we're not going to like lower the morals. And so um, in this, um, Hitchcock and Selznick had to kind of alter that because one of the uh, guidelines in the Hayes Code was that... Um, s- a husband could not murder his wife without punishment. And we know the book ends with him not being with punished. not being So they punished. had to pretty much seem like an accidental murder that she goaded him into. And mm-hmm. then they find out that she had incurable cancer. Yes. And yes. so she and pretty actually, much was trying to goad him into suiciding her. And that is similar to what happens in the book, except for he does directly murder her and then later finds out that she had technicality. cancer. Saved by technicality. <laughs> And and he even calls it out in the book. He's like, well, then clearly she was behaving the way she did because she wanted to die by my hand instead of by cancer. And it's like, OK, OK, sir, like rich old white men are like, here, here, yes, clearly what it must have been. Yes, 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 oh, yes, dude, yes. So um, terrible. Yeah. It to me, I I had a big problem with the heroine's reaction to him confessing murder to her um because he tells her that he shot someone in the stomach you didn't like something the heroine did what i mean we're best friends me and her (laughs) (laughs) so like um yeah i so he confesses and all she keeps thinking is he didn't really love rebecca he didn't really love Rebecca. She was over the freaking moon that he didn't really love Rebecca and she didn't care that he murdered her. And despite the fact that she'd seen him have like, he has his temper issues and has like screamed at her and taken out aggression on her, not physically, but definitely emotionally. And I'm like, you know this person has an anger program problem and he murdered someone and all you can think is like oh but he didn't love that bitch thank god now i can be a person it reminds me of of that scene in dumb and dumber where at the end of it all he's like so you're telling me there's a chance (laughs) you missed every (laughs) other important thing all the important things that were just told to you um so i think at that point, like, I'd been having trouble with the heroin all along, and then when that's all she could think upon someone telling her that they had murdered someone, like, any ounce of respect I could have from her went away, and it was then that she started stepping into things, when she started kind of, like, laying down, like, Miss Danvers sent her a, a menu, and she's, like, sent it back and went, no, make something else, because I'm the woman of the house now. And she did that for two seconds, and then, like, immediately stopped doing it immediately stopped because then like, then people were suspicious. There was the inquest happening. Favel comes up and he's like, dude, this Rebecca would never kill herself. This is suspicious. She would never have an issue with sailing. I'm a kissing cousin. I know <laughs> I've been inside of her. I've been inside her. I'm hoping I planted a baby in her. <laughs> um, and this freaking rich, aristocratic, aristocratic white dude just lucks out he definitely lucks out he lucks out like all the people that could maybe provide support like there's a what they call an idiot who is often on the beach oh yeah and he is he's obviously someone with like a, a he's like a he has like he a, clearly, a mental health issue yeah like he has asperger's or something oh in the or in or the movie autism he, or no um i don't know but in the movie he's just like very they definitely play it up like he's he's kind of um, homeless and it's just sort of he's he's they say he's harmless but you know yeah they give him odd jobs every now and then and he's and I mean it's the same but when you're reading that you know that it's going to be something like the fact that he was autistic or he was something like that that's just what the feeling I get because like yeah he doesn't necessarily process things. Yeah, he's, he's like, got a cognitive delay of some sort. Yes. And like, he's clearly very harmless, mm-hmm. but they bring him in and I don't know what the point of it is besides just to kind of like have him repeat, I don't want to go back to the asylum. I don't want to go back to the asylum. And they're like, no one's going to send you to the asylum. Yeah. What did you see on the, on the beach? And he's like, nothing. And they're like, oh, fine, and, go. And like you kind of get the, like, even the heroine says she's like, she knows that he had to have seen something happen. Yeah. And well, Max but, thinks Rebecca basically silenced him with her bitchiness. Yeah, with her bitchiness, like, so that she he just would be like, I don't care. She's gone now. Whatever. Don't put Maybe me to the threatened asylum. She did to send him to the asylum. She did. She did threaten to send him okay. to the asylum. That's, um, but yeah, so like, he lucks out there because the one person that saw it happen won't say anything about it. And then they, like, Find out that she had been to see to to go see a doctor, and what she had said is it was because she was pregnant. What it turns out was she actually had terminal cancer, um, and she had told Mrs. Danvers at one point that she'd rather die suddenly than languish in death. So, right. Well, so that's why he's like, well, clearly she she made me do it to her, so I'm absolved <laughs> it's of this. Uncomfortable and creepy, and. Faver, her uh, Rebecca's cousin, who's also, I guess, her lover, um, basically f- in the movie after Max is acquitted, mm-hmm. calls Miss Danvers and he goes, "Danny, I guess you know she had incurable cancer, and so now they can live happily ever after again. I don't know what to say." And Miss Danvers is very not happy about it, and she's she's got this like very. Crazed, and I don't use that word lightly, but like look in her eye as she walks to the, throughout the house, and at this point, the heroine has gotten been sent home because he's been you know he wanted her to not be stressed out by this uh situation anymore, Ooh. so she's there for like the main court inquisition, but then like once they go to the doctor's house to get like the final word, she sends her back to Mandalay, and uh she's sleeping, and Miss Danvers kind of sees her there and she has this kind of very vengeful look in her eye and then the scene ends and oh. then once max is acquitted and cleared him and his man frank are driving back to mandalay and it's on fire does she die she does not die okay <laughs> are you relieved or like they- <laughs> well no that just none of this happened in the book that way like Manderley i mean stuff happened lit on fire. it does get but it does she was away with him in london visiting they, they, the doctor they set it up they really set it up like miss Danvers lit the place on fire like fine if you if if basically like I will never allow the people that murdered her to be to be happy here um not my lover you know and then of course when Max shows up he's like oh she's then my my wife, and he's all freaking out, because at this point, they've kind of, like, trauma bonded. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, well, we're hiding your murder thing, and we're in love now, and you never loved her so great. Um, And he's like, where is she, where is she? And finally, she comes out with Jasper, and she's like, Max! And he's like, oh, thank God, and she's like, "Miss uh, Miss Danvers, she couldn't stand to see us happy or something. She would never live on like that. And then she looks up in the window, and Miss Danvers is standing there, and she's just like, the house is in flames around her, and then it just tumbles on top of Miss Danvers. Oh, wow. Like, traumatic. she'd rather be fucking dead. Yes. Okay, so... Her, without her, Rebecca. So, in the book, wow. she did go down to London to see the doctor as well. Okay. And you get the feeling that after everything came out that Favelle called Mrs. Danvers um, because... So I think what happened is that Max had, like, called back to talk to Frith, and Frith is like, Mrs. Danvers is being weird, like, (laughs) she got a long-distance phone call, and she's been packing all her things, so I think she's gonna be leaving, um... And then Max is like, oh, I have a terrible feeling. I have a terrible mm. feeling. And so he's like, we have to drive home through the night. We cannot wait. You try to sleep in the back. And she's trying to sleep and has all these weird lucid fever dreams. Oh, wow. And she finally she's like, I can't sleep. And he's like, you've been sleeping for the past two hours idiot um <laughs> so Jeez. she like hops into the front with them and they're driving driving fast and then they're like oh sun sunrise is happening but it is too late for sunrise or too early for sunrise it's and Manderlei. they come around and it's Mandalay on flames and you don't know that mrs danvers lit it and stayed inside um it sounded like she had lit it and absconded see and this um, is okay that's interesting and this kind of gets back to my whole kind of very almost like homophobic take on what happens to immoral lesbians like you know like some there was an article i forgot who wrote this article oh my gosh and i feel very bad about it, but they basically made this claim that you know when miss danvers ends up dying in the fire it kind of falls into the whole like like the belonging dead like yeah. cuz she's gay like miss yeah. danvers is an immoral lesbian and It kind of this is what happens to lesbians Mm -hmm. like they just end up dead or they end up in some weird triangle and a terrible place. And and to me, it was like weird that she died with the house. But I, I it's there was something about that. She definitely was so loyal to Rebecca that she'd rather be dead then, like, to live without her and then to live in that house serving else. And to anyone let else, anyone else live in that house. To let anyone else live in that house. And to me, like, you just don't do that unless there's something there, like, that you really deeply love that person. And, like, yeah. especially when this person was, quote, unquote, a terrible, man- like, malicious bitch. Yeah. Was she just unlovable because she wasn't straight? And, like, Max was like, oh, she was terrible and blah, blah. Kind of playing yeah. that whole, like, broken you know, like there's broken a part person thing. where Mrs. Danvers says, like, Rebecca didn't love any men like because right. Jack okay. is like, tell them, tell them that like me and her were a thing and we were going to be together when she was able to be together. And she's like, that's not true. And they're like, oh, she's oh like, Jack. And she's like, oh, no, 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 no. It's, it's not true because she didn't love any man and she liked to play with them and yeah. she liked to have the better of them. But she loving them was beneath her. Sort of thing, she right. didn't say like she loved me. There was almost part of it that, as you were reading Mrs. Danvers doing that, it almost seemed tragic because it seemed like Mrs. Danvers also knew that she didn't love her. Mm. That Rebecca was kind of a sociopathic, manipulative <sighs> person that only cared about herself but was really good at turning on the charm to get what she wanted. Interesting. Wow. I mean, and that's how it ends, I guess. And they never go back to Mandalay. They in never the book, do. I know it's because they just couldn't go back. And in the movie, it's because it burnt down. Yeah. Um, but I mean, well, in the d- book, it also burns down. Oh, that's right. Yeah. They yeah. come around in its own flame, but you right. like don't see them making it back to it. And it, it really literally ends with like they turned the corner and there was ash. they are like, oh, OK. And it just ends there. (laughs) That's all done. Wow. (laughs) Ended very suddenly. You know, sometimes you have to like end the book. Yeah. So (laughs) I mean, it is. It's it's fun and interesting, despite the fact that I really hate the narrator. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was intriguing. Yeah, and you know what I think about that is too is that the author, you know, Daphne Du Maurier, she she really did kind of like make this almost blank slate for a lot of people to relate to. I mean, like. Of course, we all want to be assertive and, and bold and you know have a personality, but sometimes people struggle with that. And so maybe she wanted to make this character relatable to almost yeah. every woman because like well, and I who almost can't. The other feel thought I had is it to everyone or is it relating to her experience as an introvert? Because when you're reading about the thing, her Daphne. Like she definitely lived life a bit reclusively and it even talked about how like when she made friends, she kept a very separated thing where she didn't like to let people in. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is a weird thing to say in a bio about someone, but okay. And um, like she was introverted in a way that this person was really introverted. Like having to do the social things were just so beyond them. She felt like overwhelmed by it. She felt like, Oh, I don't want to call on people. I don't want people over here. I don't want to do a, Ball. I don't want to do that. It was, like, very introverted. And me being someone that's a little bit more extroverted, I'm not, like, 100% extroverted all the time. But the amount of introverted, especially when you came into a role that required you to be a hostess, was mm-hmm. killing me the entire time. Well, and it's, it's interesting because, like, yeah, it makes you really wonder, yes, if you, in 1938, becoming a lady or a wife in society – like what was expected of you and mm-hmm. it fit if you did have an extroverted personality and you were like i'll just try this and do that but what about for many people who that's just not as accessible that's really hard they're introverted they're shy they're insecure yeah maybe maybe daphne wanted to kind of create a character who was a little more for the for the folks who identified that way definitely Definitely, definitely. You're like that. She did. <laughs> she did. She <laughs> succeeded in creating that person that I cannot relate to at all. <laughs> <laughs> I can kind of relate to her, but I also, I, I, I don't know. She was just so in over her head. I ultimately, it was definitely. She, she was on. She was an eleven. <laughs> like in these tendencies, she wasn't like an eight. She wasn't a five. She was an eleven in introverted, awkward. Yes, she took it to 11. Um, but yeah, so I it was a fun book. Um, I mean, one thing I that also had me interested in this that I wanted to mention is I don't know if anyone out there has been to New York and been to the amazing experience called Sleep No More, which ah, we have yes. both had the pleasure of going to. And of course, right now, live entertainment is having a hard time of things. And so you can't go to it right now, but perhaps in the future when things become available, I highly recommend it's an, it is an amazing theatrical experience where you are immersed in it and it's inspired by both Rebecca and by, um, Macbeth and they even call the place that you go to Manderley hotel.
1: It is called the Manderley hotel.
0: That's where you report to. I had an amazing one-on-one experience where I didn't know what it was at the time, but like this woman spirited me away into an upper level. We had some interesting times now that you're talking about some lesbian moments. I'm like, oh, OK, I, I, I was slammed up against a wall where she like, <laughs> you know, had her arms on either side of me and was like leaning into me and like very close. And then she like lit a fire in front of my face. and I was like, oh, I can't see anything because it's very dark in here. And then she laid me down in an old timey wheelchair that reclined backwards and the lights changed. Some audio started playing as she rolled me slowly backwards. And I looked up at the ceiling and there was an entire model of a manor house. And it's like, I remember the days at Mandalay. And it like went into the entire first chapter of the book, like word for word, reciting it about like, and now I can imagine myself as a ghost floating over the gates and over the grounds. As I sat there, like looking at this beautiful thing over my head. And I was like, I don't know what's happening, but this is great. (laughs) Whoa. That's awesome. So I highly recommend you go to that. If you want experiences like that, you cannot hang out with friends while doing it. Unfortunately, you have to go. (laughs) Yeah, alone. And I, I, um, <laughs> I mean, you can go with other people, but you can't walk around with other people. It's um, yeah, it's interesting. Like, it's essentially like it's a multi-leveled building, and it's an interactive theatrical experience. So you're walking around, and the actors will. Interact with you. Oh yeah! And you walk into different rooms and you follow storylines because the actors are walking around the building, acting things out. And it's very things are happening of, simultaneously. There's not a lot of dialogue, if I remember. It's actually there's oh, no. Oh goodness, d- it's all silent. It's all happens. Yeah. Like there are certain scenes that happen where like a dialogue will play, but it's never an actor talking. Right, and you're wearing um, a, a mask, almost like the plague doctor mask. Almost like that. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely what the it's big called. masks over you, and it's awesome. And you can't you can't go and experience everything in one go. This is no. something you have to go multiple times to experience but different things. But you follow things. the storylines around. Oh, you can, yeah. Like I, I went with my girlfriend and we both got separated and like literally I was following one storyline, she was following another. And then when we found each other again, we were kind of comparing the storylines to see like, did they intersect at all? Yeah. yeah. And I feel like it is mostly Macbeth in the storyline that's being acted out, but there's definitely things about it. Like Mandalay Hotel, like that weird experience that I had with, them talking about Manderley Manor. Um, Rebecca is also a part of it. So it's really interesting. And if you're really lucky, there's an orgy scene. Oh, yes. That's a really fun scene. Yeah. And like people know about it. They're like, oh, when you went, did you see the orgy scene? It's like an an industrial strobe light orgy where it's like guys naked with like a goat head on, covered in blood. Yeah. And like you have to find it. You have to find the storyline that eventually leads to the kind of witchy orgy mm-hmm. and or, or I, you just end up in that room right before it happens <laughs> Okay, I, I happen to be very lucky and follow along with the storyline I was like and then when the music I was like oh, I found it I yeah. did it <laughs> I was so excited. Yeah, I was in that room and I was looking around and I'd been there before and seen part of the orgy scene and so I'm like, oh, this is that room where I saw that thing happen, like one of the other times I was here. But no one else was in this room with me. And then they turn around and then there's this beautiful woman in this long red gown and I was just like, I remember her. Oh, (laughs) hey.
1: Yeah, like (laughs) she came
0: over to me and like cupped my face in her hand and then said something like it begins and then the music played and then they must've opened doors that let more people in. Cause suddenly there were people everywhere and then the orgy was happening and I was just like, well, okay. <laughs> but I highly recommend it. It's so good. And that's one of the things that when we're back to normal times, I cannot wait to go to things like that again. I know it was so much fun. And I, I remember at one point I just, I could for like, I felt like hours I could not find Alex, my girlfriend. I, Looked and I was just wandering and wandering. Everyone's wearing a mask, so you have to look really carefully yeah, you have to, know to what like they're wearing. Find- <laughs> and it's already dim. Yes, it's very oh, atmospheric. Very, very atmospheric. So I finally. When I found her, it was right after the orgy scene and I like the orgy scene had ended and I turned and like she walked in the room and I was like, There you are. And she we were both like, but no one talks. So yeah, you're, just like, you're just like you kinda just like flail. Shaking. Like really quietly. <laughs> and then I kind of like whisper I'm like, I found the orgy scene. And then she was like, No. And so we had to wait for it to cycle and she like made sure to run off when she knew it was gonna happen. It was I mean, it was in the ending scene with the whole, I don't Someone like hanging in front of you. It's, it's a lot. It's a huge experience. Definitely recommend sleep no more in New York. Um, but it's, it's incredible. It's a great, it's a great experience. Um, Yeah, anyway. (laughs) You're pointing at the mask that you guys took. (laughs) Which I didn't know you were supposed to take. You're supposed to give the mask back at the end. I I don't know why Alex has that mask there. I will say they don't always have someone, like, it's hard to tell where you're supposed to put the mask sometimes. But anyways. It's insane. Yeah, what (sighs) happened before? before covid anyway so thank you for this journey yeah thank you for coming and joining us on this this episode that was a little bit different than usual thanks for hanging in i think it was kind of fun just to see the different interpretations of it and also not only like have the different interpretations but see that history of hollywood and how that changed the story that you got in the alfred hitchcock version just knowing that we're going to have a new modern version coming out that isn't going to have those same kind of limitations are they going to be playing into things like that lesbian energy, um, or what? Like, I'm really curious to see. I'm really curious to see. And I will say, this is like a total plug for You Must Remember This. If you're interested in Old Hollywood Stories, oh, the yes. podcast, You Must Remember you must This. must remember this. Yeah, that's a great podcast for Old Hollywood. But yeah, Old Hollywood, so fascinating. They had to do a lot to make this movie happen and it was a hit it was a complete hit and with good reason it's very enjoyable like even if you're like i don't really like old black and white movies you you'll enjoy like this. rebecca rebecca's like it's like some like it hot it's like fucking classic Nice. Yeah. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for ripping apart this book with us. Uh, We have released a reading list of the other books that we have coming up around the corner. So I know that it's really fun to hear us talk about things. But think about how much more fun if you've also read some of these to come on the adventure with us. Come on the adventure with us. Read along with us. Have fun with us. I'm excited to get into some of these other books. They sound really awesome. Yes. So thank you so much for listening to... A, a real, real bodice, bodice ripper. ripper. Take care, everyone. Many felicitations on your household. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's my line. Hey, no, I stole it. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for listening to a real bodice ripper. Intro, outro, trailer music is "Air" by D. Ki. You can find us and talk to us at the following: Instagram at a real bodice ripper. Twitter at ARBR Podcast. Or email us at A Real Bodice Ripper at gmail.com. Take a care. And many felicitations upon your household.